How are we doing, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Fitter Food Radio. This is episode number 84, and of course, it's me, Matty Boy Whitmore, and, and this one, <laughs> Karis Marsden. Do I need a nickname like you? Yeah, you could, you should do, really. So, Karis Gill Marsden. No, really it's Matty, Matty, Boy, Matty Boy Whitmore. It doesn't have the same Doesn't really. Karis... Keris Brains Marston. <laughs> I'll take that. Like that? <laughs> yeah. There you go. Done. That's it. We're, we're, we're going to go with that going forward. Um, guys, uh, wherever you are right now, I hope you are well, healthy, happy, and having an amazing time. Um, and today we are going to be talking a little bit about something that, well, we, we've spoken about it before on podcasts um it's something that we kind of hold you know very very close to us it's something we feel very passionate about and um that is essentially cancer um we've said it before that you know cancer rates are on the up you know while statistics might suggest that um uh, treating cancer is more successful uh, more people are still getting cancer and that's something that we're really passionate about and actually focusing on preventative measures as opposed to curing etc but the reason we're talking about this again is because unfortunately um if you you've been kind of like following us on the facebook page and whatnot you're you'll probably be aware that keris's dad was actually diagnosed with kidney cancer since then, uh, there's been a lot of progress. He's had an operation. He's had the kidney removed by a robotic doctor, which is insane. Um, which, uh, I mean, we actually saw the, the procedure online, didn't we? And it, yeah, was, it was absolutely it was fascinating. And it actually it, made you feel more confident watching it. On, was it a YouTube video you saw? And it was, I mean, it was so accurate. Like, yeah. It actually showed you the, this robot uh, working on a grape and peeling the skin off of a grape precision. Yeah. putting the skin back and then actually stitching the skin back onto a grape. And, if you, and you think, think of how it, fragile that is. You haven't got to worry about whether he's had eight hours sleep and too much, <laughs> as a surgeon oh, might. Oh, the doctor, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true, actually. So you've got shaky hands or anything. Just think of that. that. <laughs> Made me feel a bit more reassured. Well, at first, it was like, it's not actually a doctor doing it. It was a bit like, oh, what? Yeah. And then you saw the, uh, you actually saw footage of it. And it was like, wow. It was it was mind blowing. So, um, you know, we are very very pleased to say that Keris's dad is actually on his way to on the road to recovery, so to speak. So today, I guess what we are going to talk about is how um, kind of like uh, Keris's dad, Chris is his name, uh, was was diagnosed kind of in the first place. How that came about, and of course, um, it all kind of actually came from a just a good old blood test, yeah. um, which kind of flagged some things up, which actually led to um, getting the official diagnos- diagnosis and being able to act quickly. Um, so we're going to talk about like the importance of blood testing, what the uh, what blood tests can actually tell us about our health and, and directions we may, we may want to ch- to take, you know, changes that we may need to make. Um, but also some some tips on kind of like what what Keris is doing with her dad in order to ensure that he has a speedy. Uh, recovery and goes on to goes back to kind of tip-top health and back to normal as it were so I think I've covered everything we're going to be covering if I missed anything and also just to say that's why we haven't done a podcast recently so yeah so hence the the gap it's obviously been a bit of an emotional time um, as you can imagine and and it's like we say you know it's 
we we don't want this to be a negative podcast by any means. I know we're talking about, you know, an incredibly serious subject and we know full well that, you know, both ourselves, you know, have, have lost family members to, to cancer, friends to cancer. Most people at least know someone who has been affected, you know, within the family or whatever. Um, and it's scary. The statistics are very, very scary. And whilst we don't want to kind of like uh, scaremonger people and start thinking like, oh, you know, you know, I need to do this and do that not to get cancer. So, you know, it's yeah, it's not about that, thing. but it's just about looking after yourselves, you know, being as healthy as you can be, being as happy as you can be. And, and that is the general gist of this podcast. Um, yeah, and so, also, that, that's what, one point that I really want to emphasise is when I talk about some of the blood tests that you can do and some of the signs, don't don't think worst case scenario because yeah. it's just such an incredible kind of stress on the body to mm-hmm. do that. So. There are loads of situations. Um, my mum's had breast cancer. We have had so many cancer scares. And we all go through this rigmarole and she goes back to the hospital and all the checks are done. And it's like, it, it can literally, it literally starts to make me feel ill as we're doing it all and sat in waiting rooms and stuff. Yeah. And then often, you know, twice now we've had the outcome of, no, no, it's not. It's, it's just a, a this, this is going on or it's a cyst. Still things that we need to get sorted, but don't sit there and kind of talk yourself into the the fact that you may or may not have it, you may have it, sorry, because that is just, it's going to affect your immune system on so many levels, just that worry, that stress, it's going to have a bigger impact than probably... Well, we always say, don't we, like, don't, don't, don't underestimate what kind of like stress and anxiety can do to the body. You know, we, we often say, you know, your, your nutrition could be absolutely bang on. Um, you could be exercising three, four, five times a week. Yeah. But, you know, if you're quite chronically stressed or quite anxious for, for whatever reason, it, um, it can do you so much harm. Well, I think, actually, just this is, we always digress a little bit, but we talked in the last, last podcast about positive stress. Do you remember that? And we said how there are certain people who thrive a little bit on positive stress. So they mm-hmm. like being really busy at work and they like having a full-on lifestyle. Deadlines and... Yeah, and uh, actually, um, I was talking about reading David Servan Shriver's book, um, Not the Last Goodbye, where he talks about he thinks that was kind of one of the reasons he couldn't actually fight cancer in the end, because he just loved positive stress. But his positive stress led him to travel the world, which was a lot of long-haul flying, to talk about anti-cancer living, and in the end, his immune system just was shattered by that. So, But he still said, I just loved that, that element of stress in my life, and then Interestingly, I was watching, I've just got Rob Wolf's new book, which is uh, Wired to Eat, and he talks about a TED Talk, which we've then shared with our membership group, uh, where um, this TED Talk talks about how stress is only bad for you if you have that perception that stress is bad for you. (laughs) So if you're actually taught that stress response can be a good thing, a positive thing, so when your heart, heart rate starts to rise... You, you know, you can feel the blood pumping, you yeah. can feel yourself getting nervous and jittery. So this would be us before a presentation, maybe. That's actually quite a positive experience if you believe that that's your body's biochemistry transforming to get you through this situation to the best of your ability. Yeah. That's a cool thing to believe, isn't it? Yeah. But the same as you, I remember one of the most nerve-wracking things I ever did as a PT was our kettlebell snatch test. I remember getting so nervous about that, but actually that adrenaline is what got me through. Got through yeah. And I smashed my target. Like, so... That's when you think of it that way, it becomes it changes you and it'll change you, I guarantee, on a biochemical level. Because when that stress response kicks in, you'll be like, No, this is a good thing. But what I think is a really destructive thing is that kind of worrying, that like low level anxiety, worry type nature of stressor, which is definitely me. 
and I'd say it's occasionally you, but we just worry about different things completely. Yeah, we, we are quite different in that sense. Yeah, you know, yeah. What, what winds you up doesn't seem to bother me and vice versa. Yeah, yeah, but that, that, that constant low-level worry is probably keeping my immune system just hovering around something, whether that be kind of a slight low-level inflammatory response or just the fact that my brain isn't switching off or just the fact that my gut is kind of not relaxing enough to digest my food properly. So it, you can just guarantee that that, kind of low-level anxiety isn't a good thing. I don't think it is, and it's not a positive... To me, it's not a positive stress, and it doesn't get me anywhere other yeah. than the fact that I'm worrying about something that may not ever happen. <laughs> so, um, just that or, was just a or, digression. Or something that's but, already happened that you can't actually do anything about. Yeah, and, and actually, one of the big conversations I've had with both my mum and dad at this point in time is about stress. Mm-hmm. And because they're very good with their nutrition, they are pretty good with their sleep, um... They, they go to bed a little bit later, but they're retired, so they don't have that same kind of routine that we might have. They don't get up that early, you know, so that's fine. But the area that neither of them ever addresses and honestly doesn't think they need to is stress. When I stand back now, I often say to people that as you get older, the role reverses and you become the parent. You do, I do feel like that a lot, and I'm sure you do as well. No, God, yeah, we were talking about this the other day. get kind of past the age of about 60, you're standing over them almost and going, what are you doing? <laughs> and... Sometimes I feel bad because I'm a nag. I am a total nag to both of them. And sometimes I feel like... You heard it here, guys. (laughs) She's confessed. I feel like I ruin what should be family occasions because I'll be like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? You shouldn't do this. And then I kind of step back and think, well, they did that to me through most of my teens because they they believe they knew best and (laughs) because they could see that I was making mistakes. So part of me feels justified in (laughs) in doing that. Part of me feels I need to stop ruining family occasions. But... I think, really, I just need to find the right balance. But I've noticed in both of them, my dad, all of his life, had um, a really high-level career in kind of construction and, and he was in a management position, and he loved it. He he loves positive stress. He loves yeah. doing, he loves he loves projects. And he's a... You can see, like, you can see his brain going, can't you? Like, you'll start to talk to him about something that's going on with our business or when we were buying a house and he's already gone. You can see his eyes go and he's like, la, 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 trying to think of how to... He director mode. He does, and he wants to solve the problem for us. There's like dopamine surging in his brain. And and my mum's very different. So that's my dad and, and he likes to always be on the go and doing something. And my mum kind of gets carried away with that as well. So she likes to be doing, she likes to be busy. But my mum also has that kind of other side where she also needs to think of everyone else except her first mm-hmm. and do a ton of stuff for them. So my mum is kind of following my dad, but she's kind of a bit exhausted, like trotting yeah. along his side whilst trying to sort out me and my brothers and make sure that everything is perfect for us in life. And so I see both of them and I understand the importance of that, but I see that it kind of means they never switch off and they don't always do nice things to relax or things that they would maybe rather do because they do things they feel they should do. So for mm-hmm. my dad, it's like he loves property buying a renovation and this is going to be kind of a legacy he leaves for his family and so rather than sometimes chilling out relaxing he's just like no I need to go and do that and do that and it's quite funny as well because obviously since we've been together like your dad's kind of like uh, bought a few properties as like little projects and whatnot which you know he's always like you know this is our pension and it's you know it's for our future and this that and the other and like he always says I enjoy it I enjoy yeah. the buzz of having a project yeah but funny enough he's like every time he does it you know you can see him getting wound up you can yeah. see him getting stressed because obviously you know with these kind of things they don't always go to plan no, no. you know if anything it's almost always guaranteed that something's going to go wrong 
be it something that's going to cost more money than initially planned, something that's going to delay a project, staff that didn't do a very good job or whatever. And it's quite funny because he gets so wound up about it. Yeah. And um, he's I think like, a surefire way to, to really but, smash your stress levels is to just renovate a kitchen or renovate a house generally. But definitely kitchens and bathrooms just seems to just hit trigger points in every single client I have and, and my parents. It's like kitchens and bathrooms, two essential things in a house. If you mess with them, your health just goes down the toilet, <laughs> down the toilet literally. But, it's, but what I was going to say was, is that every time he finishes a project, he's like, I'm not doing this again for a while now. You know, I'm going to have a break. I'm going to, you know, and, and if I do do something, I'm not going to be doing any of it myself. I'm going to get people in and this, that and the other. Yeah. Literally, a matter of days later, he's like, I found this property. Come <laughs> um, and have a look. Come and have a look. And then next <laughs> thing you know, he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to get all these guys in. Next thing you know, he's doing all the work himself. <laughs> and you're like, because it's, like it's like a form of addiction. Yeah, oh, it is. You it know? is, definitely. Well, it'll be. Like, that's his... I joked when we did an academy a couple of years ago that me, me and you love projects. We start a new project, deadlines, and we just get this mic. You know, I keep saying dopamine because it's just that it's the brain chemical that really drives all of us. It's like our, you know, experience of reward. And we've talked before, Ruby Wax has some great stuff on this. You start a new project and your organs blaze in and you're just like surging of dopamine because you're anticipating that end reward. Mm -hmm. And then you get the project done. So for us, it's been like, it's been the first book, it's been the second book, and and we've got our online fit 16, and then you get past it and you you go, like, you just crash and you go, right, what next? I need a new project. <laughs> Even though throughout the project you're going, never again, never again, I'll yeah. never do this to myself again. You finish and go, I need a project. Yeah. <laughs> like, I need a you're project. Hooked. Yeah, yeah, completely. And it's because I think for us there's that bigger sense of purpose that we, we are constantly trying to think of new ways to, to change lives and deliver information. And as, as the kind of world evolves, technology evolves, you've got to think of new ways to to present information to people so and also like a big thing for us and obviously we we have a lovely dog hamish as you probably all well know because we post videos and photos of him all the time on social media so we of course go on like regular dog walks together and that's kind of our opportunity isn't it to kind of we just have a good old chat about whatever's kind of going on but it often nine times out of ten evolves around the business family health nutrition yeah and you know it's you know this news with Keris's dad and, and like I say, you know, we're just so, so grateful that everything seems to be moving in the right direction right now. It's just another reminder that there is just so much more to life than kind of chasing a six pack, you know, worried yeah. about like restricting yourself all the time with your diet. And, and it's it, for us, like that's kind of like what we see our role in being. In that, you know, we want to help people look good and feel good for sure, but ultimately our goal is to make people um, healthier and thrive as much as possible and do whatever they can to live a long, happy, healthy, energised life, which kind of sounds really, really cheesy, but it's hard in this day and age where, you know, social media is just um, rampacked with ripped six-packs or, you know, size six or eight women in, in bikinis and, and, and whatever else, and it kind of almost paints this kind of like false impression of what health actually is yeah you know you know you don't have to have sub five percent body fat to be healthy you can be healthy with that low body fat it's rare but um you know our our kind of message is to kind of like i suppose um stand out amongst the noise and say look health first you can still look good and you can still reduce body fat you can build bigger muscles you can look great naked but health should always be numero uno and that's kind of like where we feel that 
the, the I suppose I, I don't know like our calling yeah and it's just funny is when this all <clears throat> happened so I, I vividly I don't think I'm ever going to forget the phone call from my dad Sunday morning I thought he was calling to say he was round the corner and, and going to pop in for a cup of tea because they said they might be in uh, Tunbridge Wells that weekend and he was actually calling to tell me just was at the hospital and, and they found a tumour and I went on this massive roller coaster of emotion, as you can imagine. And my first thought was like, like I just wanted to kind of jack it all in, like everything we do, because I was a bit like, and I even said this, you know, to you, if I can't save, if I can't save my mum and dad and you and people I love the most, then what, you know, what's the point? Like, what's the point in doing any of this? And I kind of, I went through a phase of like doubting processes and then, I'd go online and see all this superficial rubbish on social media about six packs and, and things that don't matter in life and the, the, the attention that they get and the focus that people invest in them and the money people lay down to achieve them. And I was like kind of angry, I suppose, at the situation. And I was also kind of thinking, boy, is this industry like lost its way like completely. And the people in it that are getting the most kind of exposure are just shattering health more than they are promoting health. And and so for a while, I was just kind of, I was, I was weirdly kind of hiding away as much as I can, running an online business and being out in social media. But I was hiding because, and just kind of doing the necessary stuff. And I think I, I finally, then I switched to kind of worry because I was, my dad is, is, is nutrition. You know, he's very dedicated to that. He's always wanted to be fit and healthy all of his life, actually. But more so now as he gets older, it's, it's very important to him. And they go out and live in Portugal for half the year and get, you know, brilliant lifestyle out there, loads of sunshine. And he loves gardening. So they eat loads of, of organic homegrown vegetables out there. So, you know, part of me kept thinking if it happens to him, God help the rest of the people out there that are eating terrible diets and, you know, drinking and smoking and not exercising. And then I just went into this phase of massive amounts of worry for everybody. Like, yeah. And I would be walking down the street looking at people kind of, you know, chugging down a, a can of Coke going, and I wanted to tap them and go, no, like, <laughs> I would be sectioned if I did that. But <laughs> it, it, it got so out of control for me that I had to do, I had to do loads of, like go off take myself off for loads of walks and kind of talk myself back into a healthy headspace and you know and I had some long chats with you and and if anything I I think what's happened it's kind of put me at a crossroads where I think you know I've either got to say stay dedicated to what we do and really invest some time in, in in showing people you know the real the right route the real way and and hopefully convince them of that um, and kind of just just block out the rest of the noise that goes on in social media. And I, but but part of me for a while was a little bit scared. And, and I realised we're not really talking about my dad at this point. We'll time, get, but we'll we get will get there. But part of me did have this massive crossroads in my career where I was like, what do I do? And if but anything, I suppose the last point to make is the amount of information I have gained from this process by researching blood test results, speaking to consultants. I've gone and paid to go and speak to guys in America about the situation, get second opinions. I've talked to Tommy Wood. I've talked to Emma Myhill, who both work with kind of... Tommy's a doctor, Emma's worked in cancer centres. And I've kind of... I'm gleaning information all the time. And I always think when these life events happen to you and you grow and learn, it's kind of your responsibility to share that. And I feel really passionate about that. So I think as much as I'm a bit disillusioned with everything, if anything, I've got more drive than ever to share that information. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. And But I suppose it kind of comes back to, you know, we were talking earlier about kind of like stresses and worries. And I suppose with you, like you, you know, you are 
very similar to your mum in that you kind of you want to take responsibility I'm for next to you <laughs> for, for everyone yeah like around you and you know like and you know with the news of your dad and even when your mum was diagnosed like immediately like you took responsibility and to a degree like you actually it's like you somewhat blamed yourself because it's like you felt that you should have you shouldn't have allowed that to happen you should have prevented that and whatnot and which I think you know when you've just found out that your dad has been diagnosed with cancer well you know I can't even imagine what kind of emotions must go through your head but at the same time like it just highlights how much you care and this is something I always said to you like it's just it just shows how much you care because they're your family and you love them and you want them to be healthy and you don't want them to get sick and well no one wants that but at the same time like we've said you know who better to kind of have as a daughter in this situation than than you and also you know as, as, as amazing when i start nagging you all over like yeah then we're like Kerry, smart, put, put a sock in your love <laughs> I you know, maybe just enjoy my pizza and <laughs> <laughs> I am pizza with you i'm all. joking i'm joking but but I, I i understand what you're saying but you was you was, you i suppose you you, you felt wound up because obviously you'd just been diagnosed and you kind of feel a responsibility to make sure that they're, they're doing the right thing but i suppose um one thing i should talk through that i think everyone will find really helpful is we've talked about cancer before on the podcast because my dad's sister was diagnosed and we tried to do like tried to help out in that well, situation. this is the thing like let's like like highlight here like because this is why like i understand where your kind of like your your sometimes frustrations come from because you know your mum was diagnosed with breast cancer you know she beat it however she did have a second scare but it all came it all panned out in the end you know your nan had cancer you know your auntie cancer dad cancer you know and it's like you're trying to make me cry no but i'm trying to like you know this is why you are so passionate about it and why you sometimes get frustrated when you feel some people maybe aren't taking it as seriously especially within your family considering the history yeah you know what i mean like i I, I, I don't want people listening to this thinking god that carries is an absolute raving lunatic just, <laughs> yeah. just watching people all the time what are you doing no but like you you'll feel the same when you think and actually i know this because so for the day of my dad's surgery i was with my mom all day long and she said because she doesn't come as naturally to all this as my dad does my dad loves exercising yeah. my dad loves eating his greens he likes experimenting with cooking and he's got since his sister died he decided to learn to cook and share yeah. the cooking with my mum and and my mum kind of comes a little bit more reluctantly. She doesn't like exercise. And she's talked about that and said, like, you know, I don't naturally want to go out for a run in the morning. Yeah. It's never been me. And I'm not that keen on vegetables. Like, you know, she loves cakes and she loves bread and she loves baking those things for the family. But, you know, and she's not a bad... Well, she's... she went around the other week and there was, like, four loaves of bread <laughs> no. baked. Yeah. I was like, why do you need four? <laughs> she loves that she's done that ever since we were kids and she loves that and that's part of her gift to us you yeah. know to to make bread and to make I, lovely I desserts and things and she makes amazing curries and stuff as well I'm, 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 I'm a chief bread taster <laughs> so, yeah you are she <laughs> loves you when you go around she's like is Matt coming around we can, we can be yes, naughty yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she um said to me the day of the surgery we walked around she just kept saying I can't believe it's your dad like I just can't he's the one like shining example out of all his friends he doesn't drink alcohol he drinks alcohol about once a year if that just you know occasionally visits a friend and has a beer he doesn't smoke hasn't smoked since his teens you know and has 
you know, like I said, always kind of, I always remember as a kid, he'd come home from work and he'd, he'd go for a run or he'd get on his bike and go out and he's always loved walking the dogs and he loves gardening and he gardens all weekend. Yeah. So anyway, so that was why you kind of get in that headspace of, and I'm sure everybody who has had someone they love affected by cancer has asked themselves the question, why? You know, why that person? And maybe if it's you, why you? And you've asked that and you then look for reasons why. And that's when I actually think I could possibly have driven myself a bit bonkers doing that. And I definitely wanted to know some clues. And so some of the tests we've run, which I'm going to talk about, are clue to give me clues for with a view that we will prevent in future. Yeah. So if something clear comes up, then we need to look at prevention. And um, I actually paid to have a session with someone called Dr. Brian Walsh, who anyone who um, kind of follows people like Rob Wolf or Chris Cresser or um, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, that podcast, they're all great and I listen to them, but he's often on those podcasts and he always just restores my faith in the industry, which, um, you know, I've lost a bit of faith in even things like functional medicine at times. I just feel it's getting too much like conventional medicine where it's getting very expensive. It's all about kind of protocols and people are losing that kind of what we're supposed to be doing here is treating the individual and yet we're kind of applying blanket protocols you know, and it's yeah. kind of, for me, going the very similar way to conventional medicine, maybe just without the science, which is possibly even more worrying. Um, so so I paid for a session with him, but one of the, the outcomes, sorry to interrupt you, no. was just that he said, only run a test if you feel like it will change the treatment outcome. Yeah. And, and that was really powerful for me because I thought, actually, half the tests I was thinking of running wouldn't have changed what I was going to do with him in terms of my approach. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to give the protocol because... I don't want anyone out there to think that this is the right protocol for cancer yeah. because it's not. It's just that I know my dad's health history inside out. Yeah. I knew his background of, you know, viral infections, autoimmunity. And I went with something that I felt was safe to work alongside his conventional treatment. And I also kind of got the backup. You know, I went and, and spoke to Dr. Brian Walsh and said, do you think I'm doing this okay? Because I just wanted to bounce it off somebody else. And yeah. the, the answer is... is We'll never actually probably know. Yeah. You know, that we don't... And another great thing he said to me was, <laughs> men and women don't even understand each other. How little do you think we know about the human body? And I couldn't stop laughing because I was like, he's just so right because there's a lot that we just don't know, but you do you do what you can in this situation that's safe. That's the main thing. Yeah, of course. And also, like, like we say, you know, there are so many different types of cancer. You can't just turn around and say, oh, okay, you've got cancer, cool, just do this. No, no, exactly. You know, like, it's it's just far, far more complex than that. And, yeah, so good shout for not. But what I w- will share is, so the the test that we did, so, so I suppose the first thing to explain is when my mum was first diagnosed with breast cancer, I'd actually just gone and done um, the biosignature course with Charles Poliquin, where he was talking a lot about hormones and estrogen management and obviously with my mum having breast cancer possibly an estrogen positive cancer I was kind of intrigued by all these protocols with dim and you know um, green tea and liver support to help break down estrogen and um, it actually became the catalyst for me studying naturopathic nutritional therapy um, because I'm sure I've said this before on a podcast I went to watch a talk for cancer patients on natural skincare and the person talking was from College of Naturopathic Medicine and I just thought what she said was amazing and she talked about supplements and I kind of wanted to go off and do it but obviously when my mum was diagnosed I was kind of in first year of study 
So I didn't feel confident enough to do anything with her and I sent her off to a Harley Street clinic. I researched it and found this Harley Street clinic that do, they ran a load of tests on her, um, some of which are definitely, I would say now dubious, um, but they kind of came back with all these things like she needed to have, um, uh, her thyroid wasn't great, she needed to eliminate certain foods that had come upon her, an intolerance test. And they also noticed that her zinc and her vitamin C and other things were low. Um, so she got this stack of supplements. And then luckily they planned to go away to Portugal and she took all her supplements away. But very little else was given to her. And I think she kind of doubted the process because of how she was treated. It was very much like, here's your test results, there's some supplements, off you go. You know, there wasn't much kind of interest in a in a yeah. real health history or anything. So when my dad... Uh, was diagnosed it's a little bit different because obviously now I'm qualified and I spend a lot of time running functional tests so um, I suppose just to backtrack what I've done with my parents since you know qualifying to be fair I trained a lot on them they were my clients in college as well <laughs> so I got to um, uh, basically uh, they would come in into, into a clinic and I was filmed and observed by lecturers treating them um, and Emma Myhill was one of the people that would observe me and my dad doing the consultation. And she was always like, God, your dad is brilliant. Because he's like having his heart stew and stuff like that. She was like, God. But this is the other thing, because like part of my kind of like, you know, in trying to reassure you after your dad's diagnosis, you know, which, you know, is always going to be a difficult task when your girlfriend's just found out her dad's got cancer, was like, my gosh, like if there's any one person that you know will do exactly as they're told, if you like, <laughs> yeah, in him. this instance, it's your dad. Because, I mean, your dad is fantastic in that he never, ever plays the victim, you know. So even after the diagnosis, he was very much like, right, well, no worries. What do I, let me understand it a bit more. What do I need to do? Okay, yeah. cool, I'll do it. And that's exactly what he's done. And, you know, I'm not saying that it's always necessarily that simple, but I think for a lot of people, you know, it's... Once they get such big news, it's easy to go into like a negative spiral. Oh, you know, absolutely! You know, and, and also hide, like as in you know, kind of not. Or, or what my dad calls. Um, so I'm just plugging my charger in. My dad calls get white coat syndrome, where you're kind of beholden to, you know, the doctor in front of you or the specialist in front of you, and you don't go off. Now, the internet is a dangerous thing in this situation, yeah. but. If you know the resources, the right people to go to. So my dad's always been a big fan of Chris Wollum's work um, at Cancer Active because when his sister was diagnosed, he went to look at that website and uh, I think I brought him the book initially and he gets the newsletter and he likes that it's often based on studies. He kind of reads upon all that information. So he knew where to go, but he was on it straight away, kind of looking at different resources, um, trying to understand the diagnosis that he'd been given and... If you know, if you don't feel confident that you know the right sources to go to, Cancer Active is definitely one of them that I would recommend. Then go and speak to a nutritional therapist or you know a trusted functional medicine practitioner about what's happening to you because you're going to get one perspective. And I've had that, I suppose, being able to sit in on his um, consultations. I also sat in on his sister's consultations, and although that was in Italian, so that was a little bit hard for me to understand. Yeah. But I saw how. There's a lot of kind of focus on the, the the kind of surgery and the trauma of surgery and so little is... My dad, they have not even said the word cancer to him yet. They have said the tumour appears to have a blood supply and that we're 90% sure it will be 
what you think it'll be. They're saying things like that, and I'm kind of sat there going, what do you think he thinks it's going to be? And, they, and then finally we got the word malignant out of them, but they won't say the word cancer. And maybe that's because in the conventional medical world they're actually changing definitions. I don't know, you know, yeah. maybe that's going on. But interestingly, when you're in those consultation rooms, there is talk about surgery and surgery only, and at this stage, nothing else. And I understand that. I'm sure there's milestones. And there's it's medical treatment all the way. There is nothing on nutrition, sleep, exercise, recovery, nothing. And and my auntie had exactly a similar thing. If anything, in the situation we were in with her was very different in that we kept saying every time she has these sessions, she's sicker than before. And you, you want to, you know, they were kind of administering more chemotherapy, yet they were kind of admitting they didn't, think it was working and they didn't know what was going to work for what she had it was a very rare type of cancer so when I sat with in that situation I was kind of saying so why are we still making her sicker then if, if none of it's working and we don't know what's going to work why are we going down the route of making her you know she was wheelchair bound by I think a third or fourth chemo session she couldn't you know continue with that and we talked about moving her on to another doctor and things like that but you know I suppose what I'm saying is do some research, get second opinions. That was what we kind of pushed for. Could we have second opinions? Could we look, even looking at different countries, you know, a lot of people I know now go to America for, for yeah. their treatment to look at it. But we've, we've digressed massively because I was only going to talk about the tests that I ended up running. But um, the test that I've made my parents do pretty much every year is um, a stool test. So they do a comprehensive digestive stool analysis. And um, this is because my dad's, my his sister's, um, cancer was in the peritoneum so it's more like the kind of the lining of the entire you know all the organs basically so it's almost like a, an in- a skin cancer I suppose you might want to call it um, but because of that and uh, because of his mum having cancer my dad has every year gone to the doctor and had a stool test with them where they'll look for something called calprotectin in the stool which is an inflammation marker but we also run a private stool test because that will look for calprotectin but it will also look for things like parasites, it will look for yeast overgrowth, and it will look at um, dysbiosis, so too much bad bacteria. And uh, in the last couple of years, I've started using more organic acids uh, testing, which is a urine test that looks at everything from kind of metabolic function to um, signs of dysbiosis. It's really good for picking up yeast overgrowth, one of the best tests. So I've run a stool test and an organic acids on some people, and uh, the organic acids picks up the yeast overgrowth, but the stool test doesn't. So again, in my head, I'm, and, uh, and I did kind of bounce this off a few practitioners, is there much point in doing the stool test? Because you can measure inflammation through blood as well. So yeah. So just very interesting. But anyway, so those are the tests that I ran. And then I also um, have got done a few courses now on, on kind of um, what's called functional blood chemistry or complete blood chemistry, which is that, that kind of blood test you get from a doctor. And I honestly never realised when I was training how powerful those tests can be. Yeah. And I know from speaking to people like Brian Walsh and Tommy Wood that they're actually even more powerful than we ever realised in terms of what they can hint at. So I run, I ran both of those on my mum and dad this year. Um, and I also, because my mum had had a kind of cancer scare, I said, let's do um, some cancer tumour markers. Um, so there's CA125 and then there's CA99. Um now, these are a bit awkward to run because the, if you go online, there is these could be anything. But because there's that history of cancer in the family, um, I thought, let's just add them to the, the list. We got them done privately. And I, and, you know, I kind of thought, in this case, they don't have anything to lose by running them. Um, yeah. 
because with my mum's investigation, what they had done with her, her recent scare was actually, she was struggling to swallow and she was having really bad heartburn and um, she got referred almost straight away, having had cancer before, she got referred to hospital for um, an endoscopy. And that's where they put the camera down and they look for, is there kind of changes to the cells of the esophagus? And they did that and they kind of, again, I went to all the appointments because I kind of want to know, I want to feel confident when they say, no, it's absolutely fine. Um, But what they came back with was that the difficulty to swallow is because she's developed a slight pocket in her esophagus and the the reflux was due to having a hiatus hernia and therefore they wanted her to take acid-blocking drugs um, for the unforeseeable future, basically. That was their kind of solution to yeah. the problem. So uh, we were kind of coming up with a plan for that because I didn't want her to take acid-blocking drugs. I don't want her to have reflux, of course, that's going to damage the cells of the esophagus. Um, but actually, I also don't want to take in drugs that block the absorption of things like B12 and folate and um, you know iron and, and zinc, all, all the kind of really essential minerals to keep the body healthy, lower inflammation and protect her from cancer. So I was like, no, you're not... Ideally, you're not going to take those drugs unless, you know, this is a chronic situation, acute situation, we need to just stop that happening. But then we need to deal with the cause, which would be for her to go and have surgery on the hernia, potentially. Anyway, that has kind of eased out a bit because um, doing some actual gut work with my mum has has stopped the reflux and stopped um, a lot of her symptoms. And she can have surgery on the pocket in the esophagus. But... Um, the reason I was talking about this was the kind of, they look with the endoscopy, with the camera, they look for the change of cells in the esophagus. That's what they can do. Right. Um, and at that point she was kind of given the, the all clear, but I felt like they should have run blood tests, not just looked at a camera. Cause I, I just kind of think it's one person looking, not that I'm doubting his expertise, but if he, yeah, but if it was a him in this case, but if he missed anything, I felt like alongside all of these tests, someone should have run blood chemistry and nobody did. So she couldn't swallow. She had reflux. She got sent for a camera down and and then told to take some drugs. So obviously at the moment, the kind of focus for me is is on my dad. But at some point, we're going to go back and get her to see a gastroenterologist and see if there's anything she can do about various (laughs) So you said to your mum the other day, he was like, no, I'm not done with you yet. Yeah, yeah, I haven't finished yet. They they are in the process of moving house, which is a good thing because they're leaving London, which is, you know, pollution levels are, are... uh, atrocious at the moment and it's something they decided to do for their health actually and and it's stressful moving house so some of the symptoms that they my mum was having could be stress related reflux is commonly associated with stress but I still think there's something else going on that we need to look at so the tests that I run are your general blood tests and then a few cancer tumor markers and then I run an extra test for homocysteine which is an inflammation marker and again there's a, a lot of people talk about running that test every year after the age of I think it's 50 um I'm sure it's Patrick Holford who's like he's the homocysteine guy um but he says run that every year after the age of 50 it's a big inflammation marker and if it's elevated you've got an increased risk of cancer and all the kind of inflammatory diseases and simple things like B vitamins you know it could be a deficiency in folate and B12 that are causing elevated homocysteine it can be protein imbalances it could be um, you know, magnesium deficiency. Do you remember that we talked about the methylation cycle, the clock, and I was talking about eggs and um, I can't remember what episode it was. I think it's like 78. We were talking about eggs and beetroot and, and all your leafy greens, which are full of all the, the nutrients that help to recycle homocysteine back into methionine, essentially. So 
Um, again, it's just a great marker of your nutrient status and your inflammatory status. So we tagged on homocysteine. Um, their levels were actually good. And this is the, the crazy thing. From the, the test results, um, a few things popped up. Mum's thyroid wasn't great, but that's no surprise for, for me, given that, you know, she's quite stressed sometimes. And I still, I, I, we have this debate ongoing that she doesn't eat enough. She's yeah. one of them mums that just picks up food in the day. Um, but my dad's tumour markers were elevated. Uh, so his 19.9, which is generally a pancreatic or gut-related tumour marker, was elevated. And so when the test came in, I said to him, get straight to the doctors and re- present this test and ask for a CT scan or an um, ultrasound, MRI, whatever it is that would be the next logical step, um, given your health history as well as in your family history of cancer. And actually, you know, NHS, I have to say, have been incredible. Mm-hmm. And he was fast-tracked. Um, straight away, I think it was an ultrasound first, which discovered a tumour on his kidney. And then within um, two days, he was up at Guy's Hospital and they ran a CT scan and did more tests and said they could see a blood supply in this tumour, which would suspect that it might be what you think it might be. Yeah. <laughs> so, might be one of those things. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the so that was that outcome and then his surgery was booked for kind of two weeks later and they said because it's contained within the kidney now this is a bit of a dilemma for me in that I was I've listened to people like Joe Gamble speak about cancer and she's very anti removing an organ so if you have breast cancer she's very anti that you have a mastectomy and I understand the thinking behind that and I don't think you should have entire organs removed as a preventative measure I think that is crazy that trauma when you know the genes have to there has to be expression of genes there has to be other things that happen so just because you've had you have um the the BRAC gene it doesn't mean you're going to get breast cancer necessarily but people go and have a double mastectomy just in case um and she's very anti that and I, I completely agree with that and and she was also you know, even some of the approaches that doctors take now, removing entire organs when it could just be a, a lumpectomy or something. Uh, but in my dad's case, they said it was the tumour was already six centimetres. At seven centimetres, he would have been in big trouble in terms of kidney function. So they just said, let's remove the entire kidney because it's contained. Um, but they did leave his adrenal gland in, which I was pleased about. So in that instance, you know, you kind of absolutely was I whatever the surgeon thinks is the best case scenario here and these guys are you know they're kidney specialists and they also deal a lot with kidney tumors kidney cancers they know this they've seen this a lot before um but in terms of the the test that we decided to run afterwards um we're going to run tests to look at an organic acids test to look at everything from his nutrient status again um strangely even though he's very good at he's on quite an intensive supplement regime as you can imagine um but prior to this um he's always been very into gut health so he's always taken probiotics um he's had um some shoulder injuries from a car crash years ago so he's always taken a lot of anti-inflammatories like liposomal um curcumin which is the turmeric you know supplements um he's big on on his greens you know that he'll kind of blitz up his greens and have his green drinks fish oils, oily fish, all of that stuff. So he was doing a lot of stuff that I would have recommended for an anti-cancer kind of perspective anyway. Um, we actually introduced quite a lot of spirulina, and I don't, and, you know, I said I wasn't going to share the protocol, but spirulina, you know, actually it was Tommy that said, you know, from the research he'd looked at, spirulina just seemed to be incredibly helpful in terms of cancer prevention, cancer support, and didn't seem to have any side effects. And that's the key that I was always concerned about. 
you know, is anything that I'm going to suggest going to have a negative side effect? And with things like probiotics, you know, I don't think that's necessarily the case as long as they're good quality probiotics. So, you know, I didn't kind of think too much about adding or increasing that. Um, he's also been doing some anti, um, off the back of his gut test, some antiviral, anti-parasite, antibacterial formulas. And these are natural, so it's using things like garlic, oregano, powdarco, underlenic acid. They're kind of like formulas of all these natural, um, cat's claws, another one, they're kind of natural ones that you could just take. But again, I only do interim sessions with him where I'll take a few and then he'll back off and then we do lots of probiotic therapy in between just to kind of support his immune system. Um, other things that we've been doing prior to the surgery, we did some systemic enzyme therapy, which um, I've stopped now because when you have surgery, um, post-surgery, they're actually um, a blood thinner and he's been given anticoagulants now, right. which amazingly he has to inject every day, which is a lot, sounds a lot to me, but I think maybe there's kind of a fear of clotting, um, you know, now as in from the NHS generally, they're just scared of patients having a clot post-surgery, which is very common because they're a bit more sedentary. Um, he's lapping the park <laughs> just to make sure. Yeah. And he started that about three days after coming out of surgery. So, um, because again, he's very conscious of kind of blood flow and lymphatic you know, supporting lymph um, function. So, uh, we did systemic enzymes prior to surgery, but we're not doing them now. And he's also got to be careful of things like oily fish, greens, um, CoQ10, which he takes, and. Um, yeah, it's all of them, because these are all anticoagulants, so they're blood thinners. So, but you can't know, take all of those post surgery. Because we've always said as well, haven't we, that you know, to a degree, there is almost no such thing as an anti-cancer diet. It's more so like just general kind of healthy principles that yeah. you should kind of be doing anyway. That we often talk to people about, like you know, foods that they should include as much as possible, foods that maybe they should limit, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, is there anything that you've uh, kind of like? you feel that your dad should be limiting at this at this stage that he may have been eating before peanut m&ms no i'm joking um so so the the main thing that i went back and forth on was we've talked about this before about a ketogenic diet is often now it's become very trendy for fat loss and it's very kind of the diet that's been pointed towards for cancer but it's been shown that um ketones in some cases like a brain cancer a ketogenic diet seems to really help and actually see you see kind of like you know um the tumor regress and and actually in some cases nothing is kind of scientifically validated yet but it does seem to actually look like it can promote you know basically not i don't want to use the word cure but you know remission remission is what it does yeah Whereas in some cases, ketones seem to fuel cancer and breast, ca- breast cancer was one of them. That's where it's been mentioned that the ketones will fuel the cancer. And we have a pal, um, Daryl Edwards, fitness explorer, who he lost his sister to cancer and wrote a post on Facebook where he just said, cancer predates humans and it just finds its fuel. You know, like it's just, it will find its fuel essentially. So it can survive on fats and it can survive on glucose. Yeah. So I kind of didn't come down on either side. I do want to do some more research, but kidney cancer specifically doesn't seem to have that much at all in terms of, you know, okay, is it better to go high fat? Is it better to limit? Obviously, you would take out refined carbs and refined sugars because ultimately what you want to do with cancer is support your own immune system. So that is your own beneficial bacteria which love natural, unprocessed foods, full of fibre, full of phytonutrients. So that is vegetables, that's root vegetables, that's kind of, you know, anything that's grown in the ground and doesn't really enter 
into a factory or food press food processing yeah. um, uh, unit. So first thing I kind of said to Dad was everything, you know, the only thing he probably needed to stop was his occasional cost of flapjack that he'd have if they were out at the weekend, and that was about it really. Yeah. Everything else that they were doing was right. You know, he loves his butternut squash and his sweet potatoes and stuff. Um, protein was the one where I kind of thought bring that down because my dad has always been training and kind of had the protein as in um, protein in his diet um, to try and put on muscle which he's always struggled with for about the last kind of 10 years possibly due to this cancer you know that could have been a reason um, that he's really struggled to build some mass so he was always kind of adding more protein to his diet so snacking on things like eggs and having even things like pea protein it's not not necessarily animal protein he was big on all the vegan stuff Um, so actually we brought that down to half the amount and now he's had the kidney removed because with kidney function it's not that a high protein diet will damage the kidneys but he now kind of has half the ability to actually process protein that makes sense or the byproducts of protein metabolism so we've brought him down to 0.5 grams per kilo which is so he weighs 80 kilos so he's on 40 grams of protein a day which is probably what you have for breakfast (laughs) Um, so protein has come down uh, not because I'm kind of like protein and growth and animal products and cancer and stuff but because of that Um, it might be that I kind of revisit how much protein I would generally recommend to people and it's difficult because we work with people who have such active lifestyles and are so stressed and often have mood issues and high protein diets are amazing for all of that and for fat loss yeah and so it's a difficult one, but I may, might revisit that. But as I said, not from the point of view of it's causing cancer, but from the point of view of now he wants to kind of limit um, protein because of it being kidney and possibly, you know, Tommy's opinion was I'd probably bring protein down. If, if I actually yeah. had cancer, I would bring it down. Um, so that's just uh, another like, key point to bear in mind. Other, so, other kind of side of nutrition is I've just said to him, like I gave him a giant list of, phytonutrients you know like antioxidants from food because you can't really give especially if he has chemotherapy there'll be massive amounts of limitations as to what i'll be able to do at the moment he's doing things like um, green powders and spirulina and uh, like i said he's got the curcumin and stuff like that or curcumin and i've kind of said to him when it comes to your food do things like um make sure all your herbs and spices are organic and then um things like curries obviously are wonderful because you can add the ginger and the garlic um so it's all about the immune system and what we're doing there and the immune system isn't just about obviously the fiber is great for feeding beneficial bacteria but a lot of the polyphenols and in foods so that's kind of like your antioxidants these are what interact directly with the immune system and kind of elevate anti-inflammatory mechanisms and help the immune system to kind of basically you know attack things like viruses and bacteria and and just keep inflammation signaling kind of a bit more balanced and and not let it get out of control that's a big thing that they'll do so that's where i've kind of done this list of things like berries i've said if you are going to have anything it should be the berries and it should be organic absolutely um green tea and green tea powders matcha um, this is where things like the spirulina come in and I just said to him, I've said to him to put organic rosemary on all of his vegetables and salads and yeah. seaweeds we've, we've I've got him a big kind of thing of clear spring um, packet of clear spring seaweed and just said you know sprinkle that on your salads that's for iodine so again and just you know really really mineral rich foods that's what herb spices and seaweeds are and they're great on salads so yeah. and because he's kind of almost uh, another thing that we're doing is fasting him a little bit more so He's been doing some intermittent fasting and fasting overnight. Um, they actually made him fast for about 
God, it was about but 70 hours post-surgery, wasn't it? crazy, yeah. Yeah, and he kept, every time the nurse came past, because they said, you won't go home until you've basically passed the stall and had a wee, and he kept saying, well, well I need to eat, you know. Yeah. And he kept saying, when can I have my banana? And the nurse was brilliant. She was like, not yet. He's like, I'm going to get hangry in the end. Like, he wasn't, because he was on a drip, and he was fine. But he was saying, like, he was so desperate to get out of hospital and, and go home and recuperate, he just wanted to, to pass a bowel movement. Um so yeah, so that in terms of that side of things, it's just like a, and then the protein, as I've mentioned, I've kind of said to him to favour more fish and seafood at this point in time, again, just for things like the Amigas and there's no real, you know, I, it really, I don't think any of this is going to matter because when it comes to the immune system, like I've just said, we don't really know. And he's having such small amounts of food at the moment post-surgery. Yeah. You know, it's more about, um, we are doing some medicinal shakes and stuff just to try and boost up his nutrient status, but one quick thing to mention is on your general blood test that a doctor will run, um, some key things that you want to get done are um, looking at things like your red blood cell function, your white blood cells, um, vitamin D, so important, so important. And uh, there was a comment made in our members group the other day where someone said their doctor had said vitamin D was a fad. And I literally, I don't normally kind of, you know, head in hands, but I read that and I was like, are you kidding me? Like this, and they'd actually gone for joint health. That was what they'd asked about. Um, vitamin D is just it's like a it's a pro hormone because it, it it kind of acts via the liver and kidneys to upregulate things like calcium absorption in the gut, um, but it also affects a lot of other hormones. And um, it's related to not just immune function but blood sugar regulation. So I would get my vitamin D checked, and I would really push for that either through either through a doctor or just do it privately. Some of these tests are like thirty forty quid. Yeah, you know they're not a lot of money for a huge amount of benefit. Um, so just to kind of recap on the, the other stuff that we test, we also looked at things like liver and kidney function. Um, my dad's kidney function was actually good. Um, and actually it turns out that the kidneys can take a lot of battering before it will show up on your blood tests. Um, so the, the specialist that he's seeing keeps repeating that I'm actually very lucky as in me, um, because he doesn't think the cancer tumor marker that flagged up was related to the kidney tumor. So my dad is being referred on to other um, specialists to have a colonoscopy and endoscopy and further exploration. But the, the, the specialist, and I have to say, like, you can kind of imagine that how this information was delivered to me was just like, that's nothing to do with this. You were just incredibly lucky. Um, but I've gone online and had a look and actually quite a few kidney cancers did uh, were discovered through an elevated CA-199 uh, marker. So again, I don't know... I don't think we know, I don't think even the specialists know that much about how how to test for this sort of stuff. But also as well, it's like I said to you at the time, like call it luck, whatever. You know, if, if you hadn't kind of pushed for your dad to have this blood test when he did, you know, it could have been a whole different conversation in six months' time. Yeah. Because it's like the doctor said, you know, like the, the tumour was at six centimetres. If it was at seven, it'd be a different ball game. Yeah. You know, so... Whatever you want to call it, you pushing to get that test done has meant that so far, touch wood, you know, your, your dad's looking like he's going to make a, a really solid recovery. Yeah. You know, and it's um, despite the fact your dad wasn't showing any symptoms, you know, the doctor did say that often with this type of cancer, once the symptoms start showing, it's often too late. Yeah. So that's, yeah, I, I couldn't give two hoots with <laughs> luck or whatever. Well, no, it's that the point I wanted to make was. Now that I look back on my dad's blood tests, I've learned some new things that 
that kind of almost support the cancer diagnosis, which I'm not necessarily going to share them because they're not just about cancer. And yeah. I think people will go a little bit crazy if they kind of looked at their own blood tests. But if anything is, is kind of out of reference range significantly, um, too high, too low, if certain white blood cells are elevated or too, like, too high, too low, we know that there could be a virus, parasite, autoimmunity, you know, and if you've got the symptoms, my takeaway from this situation is I want to get really good at, at linking all this together and, and saying, wait a minute, that symptom, with that reference range, I'm thinking autoimmunity and direct them off, you know. Like Dr. Walsh said to me, it wouldn't necessarily always change my treatment plan, but it will make my treatment plan way more precise, you know. Because yeah, yeah. often I'll kind of know from a health history and a really good kind case where you spend an hour with someone talking, you go for everything, and you think, and I'm lucky in that when people come to me and you, they've already got a lot of things sorted out. Their nutrition's always pretty good through, you know, doing Fit 16 or reading our books. They're already quite on it. So it might be that last thing where they're like, oh, you've just got this sinus problem or I've just got this kind of, this um, acne, this lingering acne or this just this bloating and, you know, certain reactions to food. So I've got that slight advantage and head start over most people where I'm kind of like, right, they've done six months of eating really good so what is it that we're missing here? And it's usually not to do with the nutrition. The symptom is a sign of some other dysfunction. And, and then my job is to go off and find it. And so my takeaway from this experience has been, you know, how valuable these blood tests from a doctor can be. Just a general, complete yeah. blood chemistry. Throw in some extra inflammation markers. And, and you guys out there who might want to prevent in future, I would say once a year, get your blood test done by a doctor. Get your vitamin D tested. If you can afford it, maybe go for um, homocysteine as an extra and your thyroid function, which a doctor will probably do as well. TSH and T4 are done by a doctor. Ideally get free T4, free T3 as well, and reverse T3 if you can. Um, and take them to somebody who you trust and go through them and, you know, and cholesterol markers as well. Um, whilst the, the main cholesterol markers aren't telling us anything, the ratios... Not, not in a way that a doctor is going to go, you've got high cholesterol, you need to go and stop eating eggs. That's not why I want to know cholesterol. But if I see really high cholesterol, um, there's something going on possibly with the immune system. And one thing that I've learned uh, really, so I suppose another thing for me is when I looked at my dad's and I was like, I don't understand why there's still nutrient deficiencies. You know, like he is so compliant with his supplements yeah. and his diet is so good. And one of the reasons is he has an infection in the body which is cancer that is draining his immune resources at such yeah. a rapid rate that's his zinc that's his b vitamins you know possibly his vitamin c you know and and so actually although i kind of doubted the process and thought well there's anything working that i'm doing i realized that actually probably what i was doing was was the reason that he was so well despite not being well you know yeah. and able to um hopefully get through this and 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 go on for another 20 years because Let's face it, we're always going to need dog sitters. And <laughs> <I'm joking. laughs> but, you know, so, so actually I went from doubting the process to being like, wow, this is a powerful process that, that I can really use to, to help people and hopefully, you know, get better and better at interpreting the tests and, and spotting all these nutrient deficiencies and then supporting people much more targetedly and not, not yeah. kind of just saying, I still think everyone needs magnesium and zinc supplementation. I'll stand by that. But, but also as well, I think like, I mean, it's quite ironic, really, that your dad had the news when he did, because not that long before, we were talking about just generally kind of like health and whatnot. And and your dad kind of gets frustrated, I think, with others, 
you know, that he feels like, like you mentioned, like a lot of his friends. And when he'd have like these big reunions with his pals and they're all like, you know, really overweight, drinking heavily, smoking and whatnot. And I think he gets a bit frustrated because he's like, you're not, you're not even trying, you know, and he's always said, he had like said literally no word of a lie, less than a week before the diagnosis had said, um, you know, all I want is that, you know, heaven forbid, if anything did happen to me, at least I can say, do you know what? I gave him my best shot. Yeah. I, I tried, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and, and I thought, God, well, that's such a great attitude to have. And then, you know, like I said, within a week, you know, he'd had the diagnosis. And and I think, I suppose, our kind of take-home message here, like we said at the beginning, is, you know, don't start getting into this headspace to where you need to start stressing and worrying about blood tests, stool tests, paying for every test under the sun to try and get, like, answers because you're feeling maybe a little bit under the weather. <clears throat> First, ask yourself, like, are you are you giving life your best shot you know are you giving your health you know your best shot you know in the <clears throat> you know maybe you're eating good food most of the time you know that maybe you're controlling your alcohol consumption you are trying to move every single day in some way not necessarily going to the gym and absolutely kicking your ass but moving getting off your bum getting outside going for a walk maybe a light jog going for a bike ride whatever it may be and, and and that's just a great place to start. And most people, and we're the same, we are not perfect. And even when we've got a deadline, we almost go against a lot of the advice that we give. We stay sat on a laptop for long periods of time. We don't move across the day as much as we normally do. Still walk the dog, but that's, Still walk the that's dog. because we got a dog. Yeah, yeah <laughs> honestly, guys, if you're thinking about it, get one because yeah. it forces you, you know, rain or shine, you know, you've got to get out with it. Um but yeah, just 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 start there. Are you giving it your best shot? Chances are there are some things you can make some improvements on. If that's the case, do it. Don't overwhelm yourself and do every single thing at once. Start by saying, I'm going to go for a 20-minute walk every single day, as well as my normal kind of exercise regime or whatever it may be. You know, start your day with a better breakfast. Hydrate more. You know, maybe reduce alcohol consumption across the week. Save it for one to two over the weekend and, and enjoy it and, and appreciate it. Um, because, you know, it's easy, like we've worked with some clients who are kind of like almost like a blood test and stool test junkies. That's definitely a problem. Increasing, and I'd say as, as functional medicine <clears throat> becomes increasingly popular, it's almost like people are getting a bit carried away with that side of it and spending a lot of money. And don't get me wrong, you know, I've had clients who've needed to invest quite heavily in testing and in supplements but more and more, I'm actually trying to limit that if I can, um, so that they can invest in holidays and and good food, and you know, and not have to stress and stretch themselves. Mm. And that's why, uh, like I said, as a starting point, everything you have just said, absolutely, hundred percent, is having the biggest impact, including you know, mindset stuff as well, and, and managing stress and, and being happy, and um, and then as I said, the, the tests I've just mentioned from your doctors relatively uh you know free on nhs most of the time or 50 to 100 pounds if you went and got them privately depending and you know they're a really easy place to start and um the last thing that i was going to mention was we we have explored the kind of why a little bit with my dad and um we've looked at everything from the genetic component which is probably again a strong point so there was definitely maybe well there was maybe a genetic predisposition his mum and his sister had cancer mm-hmm. That doesn't mean my dad was always going to get cancer. Of course. Um, so that's why I've said to him, you've got to think about, you know, the trigger uh, as well as kind of the, you know, the environment might have been there, but what was the trigger? 
you live in London, most polluted place in, in the UK, you stress, you like stress, you like ha renovating houses, so a lot of carcinogen exposure in renovating houses, and I have told him, and he has agreed now to stop painting and renovating the houses. One thing that did come up that I did want to share, and it's probably irrelevant now because it's banned, was in Portugal he used to landscape the garden with Roundup, which is a really potent weed killer that's now banned because of its links with various different things but one is kidney cancer so he used to use that for oh, I think it's like seven or eight years he's used that to spray the garden with so one other takeaway for us has been like kind of revisit the, the carcinogens environmental carcinogens in your house in your garden in your job maybe and just take care with them you know like my dad said yeah I didn't really use a mask as often as I should have done I got a bit complacent I just mm. used it you know use masks use gloves use yeah. don't use them at all if you if you can but again there's there's a lot of things that we we kind of think about the big things that we need to do like oh I need to go and get a whole house water filter but before you do that and you know I know it's expensive it's a good idea but it's expensive there are little things that we could all be doing and that is like you just said well woodland walks where you get a bit dirty like great for your immune system yeah you know so think about all those little things and, and we can certainly control everything we put on our skin in our hair you know and in our mouth really and and they can have a, they have a massive impact so you know build up your immune system and and support it in ways that are really really easy don't forget those things mm. you know so just one by one ditch all of your chemical based products in your cabinet like your beverly hills whitening toothpaste have you seen my ashes <laughs> I've got good teeth. <laughs> I use but, but I then, use Jason Power Smile for no for anyone that wants to know. But then equally, and this is this is a conversation you and I often have, like Don't drink coffee if you want white teeth. Well, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> drink, it, drink it for a straw. Hell no. But no, what I was gonna say is it's like, you know, you can it's easy to get carried away with this, and yeah, I am guilty, you know, I still like my Beverly Hills white toothpaste. <laughs> um I don't use a natural deodorant because None of them can, none of the natural ones contain my pits, unfortunately. <laughs> and uh, it's more so for my consideration for those around me that I opt for, you know, a, 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 a naughty deodorant, should we say. However, in the grand scheme of things, you know, my nutrition is good 90% of the time. I actually haven't had a, any alcohol since middle of December. I've been alcohol free since then. I'm actually loving it. Um, you know, so again, you know, don't get carried away with it. Make some changes. Make some positive changes. Everyone can always do a little bit better. But, you know, you don't have to... It doesn't have to become... What's the word? Your life. Like, yeah. Like, take over your life. Yeah, no. yeah, otherwise it's just going to become a stressor and that's not what it's about. You just need to try and do the best you can. Make as much positive change as possible. But above all, you know, just chill out a little bit more. De-stress. Like Kerry said, get outside. Because... As, as great as Keris's dad has been on a nutrition front, the last three years have been pretty stressful for him. You Actually, know, yeah, and, and just, and just to add to that, a lot about losing his sister, losing his mum, all coincides with when they think his cancer started. So that's just an interesting side, emotional yeah. side. Well, it's funny because he said, didn't he? He said, "God, if you had if you had diagnosed me with this, like you know, two three years ago, I would yeah. have got it because it was a really crazy time in my life and whatever." Um, but now I just don't get it because of X, Y, and Z. But, you know, 
as we know, things don't just work like that. Well, it's no, no, not... the, the, the official, when they actually did the official scan, they said it looks to be about that age. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, so, so, you know, it's like people think of, like, oh, but I've been, yeah. I've been eating really good for the last three weeks. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't get it. Long. But, you know, it doesn't quite work like that. But um... The last thing i say in terms of anything that we have changed, like nothing has changed really in terms of, of how you and I eat. But the one thing that I've got, I suppose, a little bit more hot on is... A, switching off and going outside and just kind of like, it's lovely now, it's spring, so just lying on the grass for 10 minutes is hay. Well, we actually have a garden now, which yeah, we didn't have when we were yeah, living in London. Lovely, so so... Lunch outside. Um, but another thing is um, just kind of doing, I like to be able to put things into into a habit or a routine. And so, you know, I, I, anyone on social media that follows us will know that I always do like a green boost. So... With that, I've just kind of got to a point where I'm adding extra things into it now. So each morning I'm kind of having that, or even in the evening now. Um, we haven't really drunk any alcohol since doing our One Year No Beer podcast. So sometimes in the evening I'll make up a really nice veggie juice. And it is things like celery, ginger, lime. I know it was awful this morning, mm. that's why you're laughing. I, sometimes I mess it up and it just becomes like green slime. And I made the mistake of putting aloe vera juice in it this morning, was which awful. was potent. Um, but... Each day I've been experimenting with like just doing, you know, kind of really nice veggie juices and I'm adding chunks of ginger and I've been adding, um, I've even tried adding a bit of seaweed into some of them and um, what else have I done? Spirulina and, you know, just like different things and, and, and turmeric and stuff. And it's, it's a really nice way. It just feels like I'm doing something like immune system. It's like my little immune system drink each morning. But it's funny because you do taste it and you go, this tastes healthy. Yeah, it does. Which is normally a sign that it doesn't taste that good. And but... I, I have switched to, um, and this is a bit expensive and I hate it when I mention kind of expensive things, but we've switched to liposomal vitamin C um, after just kind of doing the research and seeing the role of vitamin C and how we're getting quite low in it now because of our food traveling so everywhere. And li- liposomal is in a fat solution, so it's just absorbed a little bit more easily so each morning in our green drink you don't really know what goes in it but you're getting liposomal vitamin c in there as well now so which actually tastes quite nice in the smoothie so that's one thing i've just been doing is just being a bit more kind of one of those two of those a day just to you know because if this is a genetic thing i want to support my immune system as well yeah, of course but ultimately i've also got to stop worrying about the world that yes, will have a bigger have. impact than my little green you're not a superhero jungle juice or whatever you want to call it Unfortunately, I'm not a superhero, no. Can't be here, there, and everywhere. Can you can you massage my feet more as well? That would help. Will it now? <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> we done? We're done. Yep. On the next podcast, I will, if people are up for it, go through the blood tests and t- explain to people what you could see from your GP blood test. So if you happen to be able to get a copy, and you know, we can then obviously do it on a podcast. Now, could it be useful? Or fun. Excellent. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Um, have an epic day wherever you are. Um, please, 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 please share this podcast with anybody that you feel would benefit from it. Um, as always, if you would be kind enough to leave a review on iTunes, that would be absolutely fantastic. That uh, would be hugely, hugely uh, grateful if you did that. And we will say toodle pip and see you in episode number 85. Bye.